Somebody just started drilling next door. Are you hearing that? Yeah, I didn't know where yeah. that was coming from. <laughs> yeah, of it's course. from here. Okay. Ah, it never happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might. I might actually. How is everybody? Hello, Kevin. Long time no see, man. Yeah, it's been a really long time. I think the last time you were still living in Berlin, probably. I wasn't. I've never lived there. I, I had a. I well, you had an apartment there, yeah. Yeah, I had a, okay. Yeah, there was a place there, but um, I never made the full move. You know, like uh, as as many people did, but. Um, yeah, I, I, that's probably the last time. Yeah. I'm just realizing, actually, no, we played a show. Uh, it was this festival in outside Paris, and you played right after me, and I got to like wave hello, but you were like just I was just finishing, and you were just getting started in your set, and it was kind of like a hi oh. and then running on. Yeah, um, I'm I'm always really bad at those things, you know. I I I I completely don't see people uh, sometimes when when they're behind you're me. You're doing you're doing your yeah. job. That's that's <laughs> yeah. part of the. <laughs> It's yeah. got more important things to do than socialize. Well, yeah, yeah but I, I sometimes feel bad about it, you know? It's like, uh, uh, oh, I saw you, but you didn't see me. Uh, that's something you get afterwards. But anyway. I didn't take it that way, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, cool. Uh, Jesse is here. Jesse Siminski. What's yeah. up, man? Not much. Just chilling, enjoying like a nice kind of frosty Berlin evening. Loving your background. Thank you. Yeah, I'm house sitting at a friend's, and uh, this is an artwork that uh, they made that they live with, and it's all uh, world leaders having different sorts of meals. So, <laughs> you can see Angela Merkel there cutting a kebab, and yeah, I see Castro. Yeah, yes, they, there's Castro. Are they deep fakes or are they real? The real people actually. Um, they're the real okay. as far as i know so they yeah. were just caught they were just all caught at those moments right yeah it's nice. super yeah. official state dinners yeah okay yeah. cool and hiroko is here from chicago hey um just kind of hanging out in the studio um you can see this huge mess behind me i'm reorganizing things right now so um that's part of it um yeah, things are hopefully getting better in America, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in person soon. Sounds I like good. your I like your orange amp. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good that's one. My, that's my studio partner. I'm not really okay. To touch it, but. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you some questions about it, but Jesse's cool. getting uh, facial hair compliments. Hey, Robin is yeah. here too. Hey, Robin. <laughs> Long time no see. And uh, Black Market, Droid Smith, one of our uh, Discord regulars. Room Tone, hey, hey. Nice, nice to see all the people show up from the Discord server. <laughs> I like the name Room Tone, that's a really cool. Oh, Black Market, Droid Smith. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's very faint, it's okay, I think. Yeah. At least for, at least for us. Okay. Uh, unless cool. they break through the wall, Yoko, yeah. then you might have to. <laughs> the bunker. It's a pretty. It's a pretty big, big wall to go to to uh, to to break, though. Uh, hey, that's my uh, friend Manny, Freedom Club. He's uh, he's actually, I think, just across the hall here in the in the same building. Yeah. He's got one of the studios down the hall. So oh, hey, nice. Manny. Yeah. Sweet. He's so a great uh, techno producer here in Brooklyn. You can oh, Kool Aid okay. man through yeah. the wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, since when have you been in Brooklyn, um, Kevin? Because you were in Berlin for a long time, weren't you? Yeah, I was in Berlin for 10 years, uh, almost exactly 10 years. Um, and I moved back here in 
in early like March of 2018. So it's been a little over like two and a half years that I've been back and um, just brought all my gear, all my records, as you can see. Um, and uh, I found this, this, this room actually is in a building that is just uh, two buildings down from the apartment that my wife and I share. So I'd been wanting to get okay. into this building for a long time and it wasn't available. There was nothing available. And then I decided to move back to New York and had booked a studio and was going to move into that. And then the night before I flew, I, uh, I texted the guy who manages this building again, like, Hey, is just any last minute chance you have a space available. And he was like, yeah, do you want to come see it? And I said, I'll be there in the morning. So, <laughs> and then the next morning I got the keys to this place and, you know, stripped the walls, put in new floors, put in all the soundproofing and, and reinforcement and stuff. And uh, a couple months later, the, the vinyl all showed up off a boat so yeah, so yeah, been here two and a half years now. Sounds great. Uh, do do yeah. you? Uh, so you said there are more studios. Is that is this like a bail building where where lots of people have their um, studios? Yeah, it's a uh, this building has. Uh, I don't know. I think it's like ten rooms in this building, but like five of those are owned by one studio company that does like you know bands come and record their stuff there, and then the other studios are you know other just musicians and mastering engineers and people like that. And then the same person that owns this building also owns the building next door. And that has more kind of like rehearsal spaces. So there's lots of like bands that rehearse, you know, in their, in their rooms. And, but yeah, this neighborhood, the, the neighborhood that I'm in is called Greenpoint. It's kind of more of a, it was always more a predominantly Polish neighborhood with a lot of warehouses. And so I'm in the warehouse section. So this, this block that I'm on is all like, you know, factory, factory warehouses or storage spaces, things like that. Right. But all redeveloped uh, for, for new uh, purposes or something. No, not really. Like oh, this okay. place, this building has been like this for, I don't know, seven, eight years. Um, but before that, you know, it was like all the other buildings on the street, which is like, you know, furniture makers and window sh window repair places you know that kind of stuff like uh is there, really is industrial there, is there uh, some uh, kind of uh, cross pollination going on in in your uh, studio building like uh, do people swap gear or visit each other or or is it all sort of everybody's all private in their own no it's very room? it's very friendly there's lots of connection like i was just saying about my friend manny who's across the hall he makes techno we swap tracks listen talk compare notes talk about oh which dj did you see last weekend obviously it's pre-covid we were saying that but uh and then one of the other uh well a couple of the other folks like uh one of the other guys down the hall is a mastering engineer he makes his, he also makes music and his music is kind of more dubstepy but we're always comparing notes on mastering type techniques and mixing ideas and things like this and like oh what are you working on you know it's just it's very friendly very like very good community i i really like that part because otherwise it can get very isolating because i'm sure all of you have experienced when you spend all of your time in a studio by yourself you can just kind of go deep on your own thing and, <laughs> and not have a lot of external input so it's nice yeah. to it's nice to talk to a friendly face every once in a while yeah yeah, I've got a similar situation here because this uh, this is a basement where there are, I think, uh, six or seven studio spaces. Hey, Sven is showing up. Oh, hey, Sven. <laughs> 
And Aloha. 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 Hawaii, Hawaii. Nice. <laughs> Welcome right. Hawaii. And Fritz, Fritz is our, the, our um, vinyl cutter. He's, oh, cool. Uh, cool. <laughs> so he's uh, sitting at home. And John hey, is showing Hey, John. <laughs> um, hey, bud. Nice. This is um, cool. So, yeah, this, this uh, building has uh, several studios and there's always some... You know, uh, we don't really uh, bash each other doors in, you know, but um, there is some things going on, like, uh, you know, swapping gear or trying somebody else's, uh, I don't know, pieces of whatever or, you know, sound card or um, and yeah, we kind of listen to each other's tracks sometimes in each other's rooms, you know, just um, get a different perspective from how it sounds. So, yeah, there's some of that going on. Not wildly, but it's uh, it's it's nice to hear these different flavors going on when you walk down the halls, you know? Yeah. Here behind every door is another type of um, thing going on, somebody working on something. That's cool. And how often do you drill through each other's walls? <laughs> <laughs> actually, uh, <laughs> actually, somebody else, somebody new is moving in. And, oh, um, okay. And they're just um, sort of... You know, taking it apart and uh, and they they wanted to build it up from scratch again so there's some some of that going on <laughs> got um, it but it's, uh, it's it's been good now it's pretty silent how <laughs> long have you been in that space um this is uh four years we've been here four years now yeah cool okay yeah yeah it's cool it's um it's very central and um uh you can you can just make as much noise as you want 24 hour, 24 7 which nice. is great, you know, and it's like yeah. a five-minute bicycle ride from my house, so it's uh, ah, amazing, easy, yeah. That's very cool. What about you, Hiroko? Are you um, uh, close to your studio? Yeah, I'm pretty close. Um, like a five-minute drive. Um, Perfect. The nice thing is, there's a bunch of. It's a really secure space. It's one of the studios. Like, as a woman, I can be here late at night and not worry because there's security here. Um, and it's kind of like a frat house, like everybody knows each other. Um, you'll just kind of pop into each other's rooms and party and hang out and play guitar or whatever. But the nice thing is everyone's got kind of a different audio setup and different acoustic treatments. So you can go in there and just preview on, you'd be just surprised how different things sound by everyone's treatment and, and the yeah. speaker choices. So you, you get a good sense of the variety of a track, uh, just by kind of running around with a USB up and down the floor. Oh, that's, that's just, really smart. There's just really cool rock bands here, too. And um, the nice thing is we have a lot of, like, festivals in Chicago, like Lollapalooza and all that. And when those bands come to town, they usually rehearse here. So oh, there's always cool. some, like, rock star, like, Nine Nails is here, or, like, um, wow. cool people. And then so we'll just, like, peek in the room as those guys are in there. <laughs> That's really cool. That's a fun spot. A fun spot. Jesse's yeah. been here. Yeah, it's great. What about Still you, Jesse? Are you are you working uh, from a studio uh, somewhere, or do you have your setup yeah. at home? Well, actually, I, I took over Kevin's apartment when he left uh, oh. Berlin, <laughs> and he was kind enough to leave his uh, treatment and some equipment, even. So yeah, I uh, work from Kevin's old place and there's a, a, a nice little room where i have my gear set up um right now where i am i just have i have a um electron uh, um octatrack and uh this mod duo effects processor and a little mixer but, uh, cool. i'm just gonna be here for a couple of weeks to make sure the burglars don't come while my friends are away <laughs> yeah. the mod the mod duo thing looks really cool to me i'm super 
I'm super impressed with that. It seems like it's a kind of a, a big step. It's a big engineering step. And I see, it feels like the kind of thing that is going to get taken up by everybody all over the place soon. There it is. Wow. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. surprise. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the concept is great. I mean, the, uh, I in I think about, about I don't know twenty years ago when I was when when I was using plugins uh, a, a lot. You know, I was working more in the digital main, domain, and mm -hmm. these days it's it's much more hardware again. But I was I was always thinking, why couldn't anybody make a box to run VST plugins? You know, just uh, to have them uh, mobile. You know, and, and mm. without the latency issues you get when you have a computer basically as a as an insert in in a hardware rig. You know, uh, but this this kind of does that, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it says it's it, not um, VSTs though, but it's it's, it's not software. VSTs. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, LV2 plugins, um, and if you use MaxMSP, um, you. You can also load those in, so you can run your it, own patches. Yeah, yeah, which wow. is pretty pretty amazing. Um, That's super and, cool. Yeah, I'm actually looking for people who um, use Max to kind of like investigate how they um, work with the system. So if you know me, anyone, send them my way. <laughs> so you, maybe you, maybe you they're listening right now. Yeah, I hope yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you, you are you are uh, involved with um, mod devices, right? What is your yeah? I've been, um, I've been working with them for a couple of years now. Um, before this particular the mod duo X, there was the just the mod duo, and that is a not quite as powerful of a processor, and it was more of a guitar-based uh, stomp box format. Um, so when they were putting together this new uh, desktop effect. Uh, I helped to advise a little bit of some of the the, the arrangement of mm -hmm. um, the overall um, controls and and just offered some advice as to like how live performers in the electronics realm could use it. And now I'm kind of just um, helping to spread the word a bit um, with like various artists around. So is it yeah. is it marketed more towards guitar players or is it marketed more towards uh, electronic music? Well, this the Duo X is geared for like live performers, multiple mm. instruments, or uh, DJs, uh, live acts, etc. But uh, it can be used for uh, you know by a guitarist. But you would need to have a foot switch, I think, which we have. Mm. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of these things that can can be everything, you know. So it can be a synth, it can be uh, an effects processor. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's basically basically runs the patch that you that you feed it and yeah yeah you set up it's basically it's a self-contained audio processor that uses uh, a web browser that you can connect to a laptop or iPad so and the interface is set up like a the, the user interface is set up like a pedal board construction so you can do very direct like audio processing or you can incorporate uh, CV plugins, uh, MIDI utilities, synths, and you can program it in, in various ways where, I mean, pretty much up to your imagination as to how you use it, in which context. So it could be for um, the stage or studio very easily. So is there, it's is very there, powerful. Um, is there uh, any effort put into uh, creating a community to uh, swap or uh, share patches? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a you can you have a user profile and there are um, 
pedal boards that you can share. And there's like a whole user uh, community, user library, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you, yeah. use, you use this and an Octatrack, and that's all you use at the moment. Well, I'm trying to really limit my, what I have um, because I just felt like I was losing track of the directness that I really like. Um, with you know using like Ableton Live, you can really do anything you want at any time, but oftentimes it just means you're really confused. At least I'm like overrun with choices. So I've decided to like really scale it back and just focus on like extremely direct, um, expressive, uh, more simplistic patterns, I guess. That's at least what I'm aiming for. And um, it was just with those two, you could do a lot, really. So yeah, I feel like, it's pretty much infinite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Without, also, I, I really just want to get off the, the, the laptop screen and get away from like staring at a screen. I mean, obviously, if you have like a a small piece of gear, you're looking at a smaller screen, but the, the interface is a lot different. You know, mm. you're not stuck on a computer, which I think is really important for me right now. After like a decade of looking at the laptop, yeah. Well, we're also stuck on our computers now because of the pandemic. I think there's something about like not you know so much of our lives right now happens through the screen that the more you can get yeah. detached from that and give yourself the space to just focus in on a piece of hardware somehow there's something refreshing about it you can see time just starts to disappear a little more easily that way yeah and you can't get distracted by websites and you know emails <laughs> and all the other things so right. it keeps you focused which i think is really important for me at least because i'm all over the place all the time yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the 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 whole idea about having uh, the setup that I just explained. You know, the doing a new setup for every session, and setup can live there on the on the on the table um, for a day or maybe a week or sometimes uh, weeks. You know, but it's um, you basically limit yourself to um, just focus on a few pieces of gear and uh, try to maximize. Or try to explore the the range of what it, what what this can do, you know, what this combination can do, and mm. um, and if you yeah, it's it's not like a, a strict rule, but it does f focus you on on uh, getting things done without uh, you know resorting in in uh, swapping presets all the time or or um, you know postponing your decisions in, if you're in a door, you know, just to keep on uh, making small increments or it you know, <laughs> versions of a track which don't really really do much you know mm. how, so it's, how it's a lot faster like, how long is your picking process each time before my you what process what your picking process on oh you mean what you decide the, the, what you're going to pull in that day oh that's that's quick because um usually it's um uh the idea starts with um um a, a, an idea for a system basically you know like uh what happens if i would run uh, what if, what would happen if if I would run this into that and and into the next thing and what can I get from it you know and I, I kind of Im have this idea in my head what could be done with it but of course you never know until you do so that's what I'll set up and then um, and just then just fuck around with it until I'm I'm happy you know <laughs> it, that's really it you know it's just designing like a, a, an instrument basically just designing a, you know get a different piece of gear almost like a modular system you know you when you build a modular system system you're basically 
doing that, you know, you're designing an instrument, you're designing a combination of stuff and uh, you have this idea how that could work out, you know, and so, but the picking is easy, it's easy, you know, it's just uh, I, I, when I really f have the urge to get my, I don't know, uh, uh, ARP 2600 uh, a new run for a while you know then I'll, I'll just get that and just patch it up with some other gear and then uh, spend a few days with, with it you know and, and um, I must say it's a really fast process because um, yeah again it's just uh, continuously recording everything I do and, and there's always something that comes out of it which is useful mm -hmm. Are you when you record are you recording the, the summed mix stems or are you no, are you able I'm, to individually record the stems okay yeah cool. I'm, i i split everything out yeah and cool. uh sometimes I even split signals i've got these um splitters that uh, basically uh for example if i want to run something through an effect i can still have the unaffected signal and the affected signal mm. uh, separate nice. you know in my multi-track cool. not always because um again that's another way to postpone your decision and sometimes whenever whatever happens it's just something that you can go with you know i'm i'm all for you know um getting things right in at the start and and then just commit you know just to you know tape it or print it yeah if and you then, like it when yeah. you made it then you know stick with that decision because exactly if you yeah. ask yourself later whether you like it then you can easily spiral down yeah. that hole yeah. yeah yeah have you have you guys seen the um, live 11 announcement yeah yeah, yeah. bloody hell <laughs> there is so much new stuff in there um i i really like the the comping feature i don't know if yeah. you've seen that because that's that really connects to the way i work you know because i multi-track everything and um, yeah. um basically everything ends up in a timeline uh, in several layers and then um uh i basically all i do after that is just comping just to see what i can use from from the session and sometimes things move around sometimes they stay in the same place sometimes you combine things so the comping feature would be very would speed things up a lot i think that's yeah that's great i've been anxious okay? to see mpe in uh enabled in ableton for a long time because it's mm. it's in pretty much it's in bitwig it's in logic it's in cubase um so you have to find it's, it's a lot cleaner in Ableton, though. Like that's like a really straightforward view. You know. True. True. Yeah. I haven't used it yet in Ableton, but yeah, I, it is an it is a nice, really efficient way of presenting it. Do you have any devices that uh, that do MPE? Yeah. Like Roly or something? Or um, I actually, this is a company that I did a little bit of work for. Uh, did um, did artist relations for this company called Sensel, and they make this thing called the Morph. Oh yeah. Which is this? Uh, oh, these are just the maps. Well, I, I don't have the the device is probably sitting underneath something. Here. <laughs> it's at some. <laughs> so yeah. It's at your neighbor's studio somewhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, it has all these really cool uh, layers that you can put on it, and then you can, oh, yeah. you know, move around with those, and and that gives a lot more data. So that that sort of MPE control, I think, is can make things really expressive if you have the right tools and if you set it up nicely. So, and because Ableton is kind of where I do most of my writing, it's just nice to be able to have that in there and just like you were saying about your setup, it's just easy to just go, you know, and not yeah. overthink things, but I don't have any MPE or hardware. There are a few things like the Linstrument and, and a couple other things that are really good for MPE. Um, and actually some modular stuff now can, can incorporate that, but, um, yeah, oh, yeah? I, I'm excited to see it in Ableton. 
Yeah, because like basically if you map, uh, you have to go through and set everything. For for what? For all MPE or for that device that I was talking about? In general, I've, I've uh, it, in general, no. I think be well with MPE, no, because it's basically, um, it's more like just having different layers of control. So imagine that you know MIDI would kind of be like X Y, and MPE is X Y and Z. You've got all these things beyond aftertouch and beyond uh, continuous control. Um, so it it can become really multi-dimensional, but then you have to decide what those different expressive contacts are controlling. So mm. is it controlling the filter opening and closing? Is it controlling the resonance? Is it controlling some other, you know, pitch, whatever you can, you can assign it to anything. But I think there are some devices that auto map MPE, like um, Roly makes some of their own synths. And because their devices are, um, because their devices are, uh, all MPE based, then they're the the synths that they've made, the the plugins that they've made are all um, MPE enabled and kind of pretty much auto map. So yeah, mm, nice. I just saw this question popping up from Nof. I think <laughs> bring it back, Sandy. Yeah, Nof two thousand two. Is MPE related to MIDI two point It's different. MPE is stands for MIDI Polyphonic Expression. It's something that is sort of. Most of the features that exist in MPE are going to make their way into MIDI 2.0. At least that's what people are talking about. But MIDI 2.0... If it ever ever comes. Exactly. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. MIDI 2.0 is something that's been discussed for like, I think, 15, 20 years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's still lots of debate about what will go in the protocol and what will not. But MPE is... Um, a bit more refined. It has it has broader or deeper feature range than just straight MIDI, but it also has MIDI. So imagine that it's got polyphony, but it's got all of these other things beyond aftertouch and CCs. Um, that um, my experience with using MPE is that it's much more intuitive. Like when you're you can you can press on something and and that has an impact. It's not just velocity, it's actually pressure sensitivity um and all these other things. So it, it can give um sort of a multi-dimensional thing. If you can imagine that one contact can have, you know, pitch, timbre, velocity, uh filter, you know, all these other things, whatever you want to assign it to. So it gives a lot more contact in the same way that when you're you know, playing guitar, if you pull on the string, you can bend those notes in different ways um, or, or add vibrato. There's all these other things that you can do with physical contact with MPE, I think. Yeah, now you can you can uh, basically all edit it. It's, uh, they made it really, um, like uh, like you said, uh, Ruko, it's, uh, it's a very clean representation of what's going on. And it's, it's very uh, similar to how you're used to editing other automation in, in Ableton. They've done a really good job. I think it's a it's a it's a great new feature. Uh, Ted Palace is asking, "What's the coolest thing you could see yourself doing with MPE?" Personally, that, the thing that yeah, the thing that I would for. the thing that I'd like to th- that I like doing with MPE is kind of playing a synth, sort of like a violin or like a guitar, Ooh. where you can move around the string, but you can add all kinds of expressive little touches that are much more individual than just note on note off or you know note loud note quiet you can do all kinds of different things just with a single gesture and that means that your body is connected in these much more kind of intuitive ways so to me that feels like the coolest thing that mpe offers is something that's more expressive and more immediate than just like okay wait what what parameter do i want to change next you know yeah Mm. 
Is there a lot of manufacturers besides Roly making devices right now? Uh, well, Dave, uh, Dave Smith and Roger Lynn made the Linstrument that's MPE based. Um, there are a lot of, actually, there's a lot of stuff that's native to Logic that is MPE oriented. Um, I don't know if you've ever used any of the Madrona uh, plugins. Uh, they do Alto and Kaibo and a couple other things. Um, all of their stuff is MPE uh Compliant. Um, I know there's a lot of other stuff, but and actually, almost everything in Bitwig is MPE uh, capable. So you know it. But that's the thing is that now that it's in Ableton, there are. I think there's going to be a lot more that you can go to. That um, you know, I, I don't even know. I haven't tried it yet, but I would. I'm curious whether there are some VSTs that you could, that are not MPE enabled, but you could control them using MPE through Ableton now that that allows that. I've, I've not tried that yet, but so don't hold me to it, but it's a possibility, I guess. Mm. Mm. Sounds awesome. Yeah, but yeah. Ableton for me, I honestly, lately, these days, Ableton is not a place where I do a lot of deep feature diving. I end up, it ends up becoming kind of a portal for either hardware or some of the other uh, VST things that I'm using. Um, yeah, but, but there's, some, there's some stuff that people um, had to go to Pro Tools for, you know, and uh, and now that seems all, all built in. Yeah. The other thing, the, the, there's some r nice, uh, cool plugins there as well. Like, I'm a sucker for spectral uh, processing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, now it's in Ableton. It's not like that special anymore. I mean, you, you, but right, anyway, right. still, it, it sounds it sounds great. It's a it's a really nice sound design uh, feature. I think. I think I think Ableton does an amazing job at incorporating features that keep it fresh and keep it at the front yeah. of whatever's happening. And I mean, when I've wanted to kind of experiment more with um, with deeper features. I've always found stuff that amazed me, like their glue compressor is amazing, that wavetable synth is amazing. You know, all of the stuff incrementally continues to just get better. Mm. So like you were saying about with Pro Tools, you know, and, and with every, almost every other example now, anytime I used to have to go to another DAW to do one specific thing that I wanted, it's now in Ableton. So there's, yeah. there's just fewer reasons for me to have to use anything else. So it just ends up becoming the main yeah. thing, whether I'm using it for hardware or using it to, to write even within it. Um, I, I, I really like it. And I, I love using push. I think push is a great, not just a controller, it's an instrument and it's a great yeah. way to get compositional ideas out, you know, write chord progressions or melodies really easily without having to kind of um, do a lot of pre-thinking. You just get going and, and new ideas come out. I really love it yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah I, I, we recently got some pushes here in the studio, and the, my favorite feature so far. I haven't gotten gotten too deep into it yet, and it, but it's becoming part of part of my workflow. Um, I I really like the that you can just throw a sample in and and have it find its uh, you know you can chop it up by transients and have like in an instant you have like like the whole pad full of um, mic micro samples. So you could it's mm -hmm. it's super fast to build drum kits and shit like that. You know. Yeah. Or yeah. to mess around with 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 loops or breakbeats or whatever, it's cool. It's really cool. And Fritz agrees. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, so um, I, I actually, Jesse, let me ask you, how do you use the Octatrack? Because I've used it for years and we've spoken to many people on this chat here who use mm. the Octatrack and everybody seems to use it in their own specific way because nobody uses every feature. People just use some features. What is what is your process there? Yeah, it's it's pretty mind-boggling in, in basically how you approach setting it up and the various... Um, I don't know. I, I've had it for maybe two years now, well, a year and a half, uh, with the idea of sort of phasing out and restarting uh, to do live shows without the laptop. So I'm using it um, as like a percussive sampler for one, and then I'm also using it to edit loops um, a little bit longer. I haven't really gotten into like getting rid of Ableton as I've intended to play um, longer clips altogether. So I'm using it more just as a compositional, a quick um, database brain kind of thing that I just have dumped a bunch of samples in. Um, Are you sequencing anything else from it? Or just yeah, it? I'm um, sequencing external synths with it. Like um, I have a, I'm triggering a 101 with it. Um, some electron stuff, uh, and it's great. I mean, it has you know, four outputs or two separate stereos, so I'm able to kind of like send things out to the effects and then back in. And I, I appreciate being able to like loop on the fly and and cut everything up. But it's um, it's going to take a little bit more time to become fluent with it, I think, because it has so many you know specific little features that you have to really work towards grasping, I think. And different uh, ways to get there. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many functions that you can access in several different ways, you know? So, right. Yeah, yeah, you do have to dive it through the menus a bit. But, mm. but you it's know, a daunting for me, it's, machine. Yeah. yeah, but the, the longer I sit with it, the, the more fun I have. And uh, I love the Electron stuff. I've spent a lot of time using them. And it's just, the, the more you commit to it, the more expression you can get out of it. So I feel it's just the directness comes over time and it's the, you get to a point where it's kind of intuitive and then you can just really like breeze through. Um, Are you using the first version of the Octatrack or the recent, the more new, the more recent, uh, one? the more recent one, the second one. Okay. Yeah. Do you find that that's um, better or have you not used the original or? I prefer the layout visually. I, I like the, the design of this one better for some reason. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. It I think some of the like menu options better. are like on the top now. So yeah, it's UI. easier it's to, little, to kind of left. navigate in some ways. Cool. Yeah, I definitely feel like it's the right sort of a mastermind brain that you could grab in, to get rid of the laptop for a lot of things. Um, yeah, it's almost a door in a box. Yeah, it's, it really is. It's way it's something way way beyond uh, a groove box, you know. It's it's a yeah, you can do sound design, you can do um MIDI sequencing, drum programming, mm. yeah, anything really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Powerful editing as well. And great effects. Ted Palas showing up. Do you find Dr. Trek inspiring new ideas or is it better at helping you put down ideas you already have as a clear idea about have a clear idea? Um um, I use it question. very superficially, to be honest. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I just for me, it's um, 
uh, it's always part of the. I don't use it to build entire tracks, although, although I've I've done that in the past a few times just to see if I could do it. You know, just make mm -hmm. a track w with one one sound source, <laughs> and it's just uh, used in so many different ways to you know in many ways to uh, create a whole palette of sounds using just one source, just as a you know. And, a little assignment to myself just to get the note machine but and it's yeah. possible to do entire tracks in there but it's uh in usually in my setup it's accompanying uh some other stuff that's going on so i like the i like to keep it in step in step mode you know and, and just do mm -hmm. things on the fly uh sort of like live performance style you know yeah and um it's yeah quickly assign things to the fader or make quick scenes and stuff like that it's that is quite easy to do with with uh, the octa track in real time in step mode even yeah. and um and yeah basically it does that and i sometimes use it as an effect processor so things going out of the dj mixer into the uh, inputs or um yeah and i just have uh i don't know i, I keep forgetting the name there is um is it called um they use all these machines, right? I, I don't know which mm -hmm. one it is that you, that lets you play stuff through the channel. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, but they're different. You know, you know yeah, what I mean. Tapes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's how I use it. But it, I, I don't, you know, use it as deep probably as as you, Jesse. That I, I built my entire track in there. It's more of a tool in my studio, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, I think for me, it's, I'm focusing on just mastering this before I take anything else on because it, it really just, it does it, like, it requires a lot of um, attention to figure out everything. But once you, you do do that, it, it yields a lot. So, yeah, and I have a lot of, you have, you have, you have to keep coming back to it because it's one of those yeah. uh, devices. If you leave it alone for six months, you'll be scratching your head, you know, once you, yes. <laughs> once you turn it back on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. But yeah. Jacob, you've done a lot of it doesn't deliver off the bat is the problem, right? Like when you yeah, turn right. on all the electrical learning curve yeah. 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 play, it's like, yeah, it's not a really It was it took a little while to figure out what the hell is happening. Um with how they have set up the different instruments or like sample settings and playback settings and because they want it just to be as open as possible. And in doing so, it's confusing at you know, at first session. But but, but Jesse, you've done a lot of electron stuff, though. I mean, did did, did your background in using other electron devices help you get further along on that one? Or yeah, I mean, the overall user interface is very similar to like a lot of the older synths and the drum machines. So knowing it's, that it's different, it's different than the other electron devices, though. Well, yeah, is it? Well, with process. the sample, because it's the sample source. I mean, the sound sources are yeah. samples, so the architecture of how they've arranged that is um, unique, but everything else and a lot of the other settings are very similar. Um, so yeah, I would say it's it's, help, it's been helpful knowing the, the the past equipment. Yeah. Are you an electron user, Roko? Yeah, I am. Um, actually, Jesse got me and still electron. Okay. <laughs> this was it. This was the first. Gift from Jesse. It was like the original. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My oh, first auto machine. It still has yeah. a Vita sticker on it. So good. <laughs> That's um, toured a lot. Yeah, I really, really, after Overbridge came out, yeah, that was the game changer for me because 
I, it, ha, dealing with drift and dealing with correcting a recording has been the thing that stopped me a lot. And with Overbridge, I'm getting everything exactly locked in most of the time mm-hmm. when it behaves. And cool. so um, just getting the multiple outs um, across all the Overbridge devices, and they're just they're locked in. Like, rarely will I have any kind of drift. And knowing that I don't have to go back and correct any of that makes the whole aspect of creating easier, right? So just going through and doing a jam and knowing that I don't have to go back and shift anything um, mm. really helps out. And so, yeah, the new, the new stuff has been really impressive. I really like the Digitone and the... Um, the even the the model cycles, the little devices they've put out, um, they they really do a lot. That was kind of my like um, quarantine machine, figuring out the model <laughs> cycles because it's just this little FM box. It's only got stereo out, but because it's got all those restrictions and the machines that are within there that are like the kick and the whatever, they're really restricted into that sound, right? So. You can't really bend something too far outside of its parameter. So it, it, everything within the control sounds like it should. So um, those restrictions really help me move forward quicker. That's um, interesting. Yeah. It, the, the way they label things on that, though, is not normal. It's got like its own fancy name for stuff. It's like, this is the color or this is the whatever, and, and there's no, like, straightforward, like, cut off on a filter or an envelope. You have to use their, like, charming lingo on stuff. But <laughs> um, the the kind of groove box elements of the electrons are really what appeal to me. You can just, um, you can take one box and hammer anything out within that, and all the kind of parameter lock features, you know, probability stuff. Um, when I have no idea what I want to work on, it kind of helps get a little bit more generative. And, and mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very really, true. That really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, to jump back to Ableton, that's also um, in the new, in in the live update, in the 11, uh, probability. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. If they've, done it, they've done it in a really smart way as well. You can... Uh, just edit it in the down where you no, would normally uh, edit your your velocities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh. It's just another it's just another layer there. It's um, it's really cool. It's really cool. There's so many yeah. options now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. King show. Hey, Strakil, oh, how are you? No. <laughs> there goes the, the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> we can't we can't talk about live uh, gear at all. If mm. if Kink is listening, we're all going to be embarrassed. Yeah, we're going to sound we're all going to sound stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, were you able to make friends with the OS and the way of? Um, working um, Iroko with uh, electrical machines because that's the biggest hurdle for most people Yeah, to adopt yeah, that way of thinking. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I probably watched hundreds and hundreds of hours of YouTube videos <laughs> and, yeah. and people making stuff. And really, the mono machine, it's just an unruly machine, right? But that's kind of the charm of it. Um, the, the way it models FM stuff, it you've... It, it, this is also part of my knowledge. Um, I, 
I just don't know some of this, so it's just a knob to mm. me sometimes, right? And so it, it really lends itself to experimentation. Yes. Um, the cool thing is Jesse left me some nice patches in there too. So, <laughs> That's full. <laughs> it, it really, it, you know, having those great starting points. Um, but really, once you get the logic, it just makes sense, right? And then mm. going back to simpler drum machine, it's tough, right? Um, I think I think a lot of the manufacturers are catching up. Like Roland is implementing their own step lock features, all these kind of various things that um, Electron uh, innovated. But it's just not as precise, right? You you really have so much feedback on an Electron box, and initially it's kind of overwhelming, right? Because you just have all these poorly labeled knobs and. They, they don't say the full word. It's like two letters for whatever mm -hmm. thing it's representing. Um, but if you just do a little bit of research online or just someone sits down with you, it they give you something very quickly, which for me mm -hmm. is a big thing, right? It's, it's yeah. not... It's not I'm, like I'm I'm almost certain that it's a design a design uh, choice though because it you know these days it, it it should be easy to get like full full screen you know multicolored uh, displays very very easily and by by um, labeling things or maybe be a bit more symbolic in 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 the layout um, you are kind of forced to to really know the machine and and uh, you know interact really close with it rather than um, just grab for the obvious things if you see them labeled correctly or or in a, in a you know made made look fancy or whatever you know um, it is a it is sort of its own universe kind of approach <laughs> the electron look yeah true I love it yeah. Are there any people watching us and want to comment or ask us anything? Because uh, I should do this uh, housekeeping thing. Uh, if you're watching on Twitch or on YouTube, you can uh, you can type comments there. Uh, people who are watching this on Facebook cannot. We cannot see your comments. So if you want to jump in the conversation, then we uh, I I would uh, encourage you to go to uh, Twitch. Um, the link should be posted somewhere. Uh, that's the place to uh, to watch it and interact with uh, with us. Um, or just get rid of Facebook altogether too. That's my <laughs> yeah, <suggestion. laughs> yeah. It's, it's a good choice. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. Um, Yoakum, you were talking yeah. about how you've gotten much more uh, in hardware, and and when you were also talking about how you know you you like to just get in immediately on things. It reminded me of how I always sort of imagined, I always thought of you, especially, you know, eight or nine years ago as being really, really well-versed in some of the harder stuff to program. Like, I think you were using, were you using Kaima? Is it Kaima or Kima? I don't know how to pronounce it, but you were using Kima. those, right? Kima, yeah. yeah. And yeah. And I remember one time asking you for, advice on how to navigate a this setup on a on an eventide device that had lots of different options i always think of yeah, you as having really you the, eight, the eight thousand right yeah the, the eight thousand yeah, exactly yeah. yeah yeah um so i'm 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 interested to hear what brought you from kind of that deep dive uh sound design control thing 
uh, going back into more straight ahead hardware stuff? Uh, well, I still do both. You know, it's yeah, uh, uh, yeah. All these de- once you de- basically uh, masters master the the hard part of a machine. Hi, um, David. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, oh, this is a, this. That's uh, my name there. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna attempt to to uh, to uh, to uh, pronounce uh, the name. DHLA44. Okay, David. Hey, yeah. David. Jochem. <laughs> um, it's it's Jochem. <laughs> okay, for people who are wondering, uh, some people uh, say Hochem or uh, Jochem or whatever. It's all fine with me. <laughs> it's all fine. You can call me whatever. Hochem's <laughs> pretty good. I like Hochem. Hochem is Hochem. Hochem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so I mean, the, those things I've I've I spent some time learning them, you know, like the Eventide programming. There were some uh, external apps that would let you do the patches from from a computer, which was helpful. Oh but yeah, I can also do it on the on the machine themselves. Um, but honestly, um, I'm not too I'm not too much of a programmer, you know. I I I kind of scratched the surface and and. Um, by the time I'm, I'm, uh, I can, I can have moments when I think, okay, I'm gonna get really deep into this. But once it's, once sound starts spitting, you know, once it starts spitting out sound and and do something, I, you know, my mind drift, drifts off and and yeah. just goes into the sound part of it. You know, so um, sometimes I don't even finish the ideas that I I try to do as when I stumble upon something useful along the way. You know what I mean? Sure. So um, yeah, so it it is like. Um, uh, a way to you know get something unique from those things you know instead of just resorting to presets just have an interaction and see how far you can you know bend the sound in in a certain environment um that is always something i'm interested in even with uh, simple hardware i try to find the edges and and see what the range is you know that's always a fascination for me um but um yeah i just i just like the the Getting quick results. I'm I'm uh, mm. fa- fairly impatient. Yeah. <laughs> Direct. Yeah. yeah. It's also Hendrick. fun to to, to, oh, to like push the device to, as far as you can to figure out yeah what kind of craziness you can get out of it. Yeah, how to um, break it, right? Yeah, I mean, I've found that's where I've kind of gotten the most interesting things, even in in Ableton, working with different time signatures and. And different, like MIDI, really complicated MIDI editing or MIDI filters with uh, Max MSP, where it's um, it's almost like you don't actually get much done, but when you do, you make something really interesting. But it takes a long time to get there. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why I'm not so- very productive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, sometimes that can be um, your assignment for the day. You know, okay, let's dive yeah. into uh, let's dive into this feature today and see see what happens. And it it'll, yeah. it, it it's some, sometimes it can just give you a starting point. Uh, sometimes it gives you nothing, but at least you know mm-hmm. what it's what the feature is about. You know, yeah. Um, but you might you might actually be very surprised or do things which are completely outside of your normal process and and uh, by doing that uh, you know create things or stumble upon things you never thought would happen you know so it's um, yeah i don't know it's it's, so for me it's like um sometimes i need that you know to to get 
to really investigate a piece of gear or a feature mm -hmm. or something um, as um, as a way of learning uh, things about it or or most of the time, uh, hopefully, also get something useful out of it. And sometimes I just don't want to bother with that and just uh, use something um, that I've used before and something, something that I know is, is going to give me results, you know? Yeah. I found that I have this sort of... Uh, my There's sort of a narrative curve or, like, roller coaster to my relationship with a piece of gear or any kind of tool, whether it's a VST or... Or not, there's this sort of initial phase where I'm super excited about it and doing everything to learn a whole lot about it. Then there's this sort of dip where I've kind of like gotten tired of it. And then once you come out the other side, it's like then you really, really know what you're doing and you get a lot of inspiration out of knowing that tool. But in, in some ways, my engagement with some stuff is like that initial learning curve. I use it a lot because I'm learning a lot and I'm excited about that process. And I have to get through that part where it just seems a little bit old hat or a little bit boring to me until it gets to the point where then I know it so well that it's just an automatic, easy choice. But I find that there's this dip in the middle where it's like it's, sometimes it's I'm just to, pushing through and trying to make it exciting. It's hard to stick with that, though, to the dip, right? Every, yeah, every time absolutely. I get a new piece of gear or software, I'm always like, this is going to fix everything and every problem that I'm having because <laughs> I saw this demo and this is what I need. And um, yeah, totally. I, I pick something up and I'm like, fuck, I actually have to like wrestle with this thing. And then, so, um, it, yeah, depends on how, if I'm still paying for it, like then I will really work it. So if it's like a finance yeah. piece of gear and I'm paying for it monthly, that's like my guilt for having to use it. You know, so. It's true. <laughs> so Kevin, um, weren't you do, weren't you also doing some post-production work or um, mastering even what i'm what doing the... both yeah okay uh so when i you know when i was living in berlin my studio was in my apartment like jesse has now and um i it was very straightforward it was very easy but being in new york apartments are expensive and studios are expensive and you can't have them together because uh, spaces are, you know, apartments are too small, etc. So having this studio was like, okay, how am I going to pay for this? Um, and I started taking on post-production work, uh, just doing mixing and audio engineering stuff and, um, and some sound design for commercial video projects, uh, just because I have, you know, enough of the tools and enough of a background to be able to do that and some contacts because of uh, previous jobs that I had before. I was going to say DJ because uh, if you if you decide to do that, where where do you get your clients? You know, where do you get your? Um... Yeah, I just was lucky that before I'm before I started DJing full time, I worked in the advertising industry, and so I knew people in the business, um, and it was as easy as just reaching out to them. Not easy. It wasn't easy. I shouldn't say that. It <laughs> took a while, but you know, I could get a few things going by just talking to some folks that I knew and saying, hey. You know, I'm doing this now. If you have any work like that, send it my way just to kind of keep the money going here. Um, because, uh, yeah, when I moved back to New York, I I had a bigger financial obligation to pay for this place and, and other things. And um, and touring was going to be harder. So I, I knew I had to kind of do that. So I was doing that. And then mastering was just something that I started picking up by doing mastering for friends, for their labels and such. And uh, when I built out this space, I kind of designed things in a way that would give me a bit a better layout so that I could hear things really precisely. Um, 
and just started doing it, started offering it to friends, and it's kind of just gone by word of mouth. Both of those things, post-production and, and mastering, are things that I, I don't spend a lot of energy marketing them because I feel that kind of becomes a, an awkward thing to tell people, hey, come and listen to my music or come and listen to my DJ sets. Oh, but also I'm doing this commercial work. So the commercial work is something that I just kind of do by talking to people and, and building a network. The same with the mastering. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, promoting it on social media because I, I find that those things... Well, just generally, I find that promoting things on social media tends to not really work for me very well. It doesn't feel <laughs> doesn't feel natural to me, or I'm not comfortable doing it. So I, I I struggle with that. So yeah, the mixing and and post production and mastering stuff has been um, it's been fun also because when I go through periods where I'm not really sure what I want to be making musically, it's an easy way to kind of drill in on skills that we've you know all of us in this chat have all and probably a ton of people listening have developed these skills um for their own personal creative endeavors but to be able to apply that and help somebody else do something and at the same time also kind of keep some of the anxiety about money uh off my back um sort of balances things out in a way it just gives me kind of a daily thing where even if i'm not ready to like sit down and write on write a, a new track i can uh i have something else to master or or a new project to work on that um that i can shift my attention to mia from youtube is uh asking you uh if you are mastering in the books or or out of the books uh it's my my mastering is a combination of the two uh similar to my producing and mixing. Um, I don't think that there is, I don't believe in the categorical one way or another. Um, if the name ambivalent uh, didn't already tell you that, then, uh, <laughs> then I don't believe in, in categorically uh, only analog or only digital. So I, I use hardware and I use um, uh, a lot of software because there's a lot of stuff that's good for, for both of those things. You know, I don't... Um, Especially when it comes to mixing, I do mix downs for people also, in addition to doing the mastering. And um, sometimes there are things where I can do several instances of an EQ or a compressor that if I had that hardware, I could only dedicate that to one channel or one stereo pair. Mm. Um, so I believe really strongly in using the right tool for the right thing at different times. Um, for instance, uh, I've been doing mastering for DJ mixes, which is a sort of interesting process. Um, and I have used some of the some of the hardware that I have for some of my broadcast work um, is actually really good for mastering uh, DJ sets because you know with DJ sets you often have these like the the loudness levels change, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and so you yeah. get these weird dips and troughs. And especially um, the most the more unexperienced uh, DJs. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, if you're if you if it was recorded in a in an environment where you know there's a compressor on the out uh, on yeah, on the gear that's true, and that's true, yeah. the system does yeah. the system tells you that everything is of an equal loudness, but yeah. when it's recorded, it doesn't necessarily have the same thing. Or you know, you're mixing a demo mm. into a master track. And you're overdriving right. it, and certain things are different. So, yeah, and also just different tracks are mastered differently. So an old track that's ripped off vinyl is going to sound different than a brand new thing that's mixed really well and mastered really well on. That's interesting. Uh, anyway, so so you go you go through. Um, are you kind of um, approaching the 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 whole thing as segments? So you you take a look. You kind of zoom into every track, or do you have one setting that takes care of everything? 
The beauty of it is, is that with a lot of broadcast uh, gear, especially the older stuff, the stuff that they don't use anymore, luckily, mm-hmm. um, that broadcast gear is meant to level conversations, right? It's usually meant mm-hmm. for people who are talking, and some people trail off when they talk and they get quiet, and then they talk really yeah. loud, and you know. So there's there's hardware that's meant to level that, but it's not doing it with. Musical hardware does that just with compression, right? You just tamp mm-hmm. it down and then blow it back up with makeup. Whereas some of these other devices ride that level automatically, and they're kind of amazing at doing it. And it can be like just really easy, very good results, and get a very smooth uh, uh, output. Can, can you name the device? I'm interested in what you actually use. Yeah, the, the one that I'm talking about. Special secret. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know because if I if I give this one away, then everybody's going to buy one, and then uh, there goes my. <laughs> DJ set mastering business, but um, <laughs> but you know the the thing is is that uh, I guess what I'm saying is to to answer the question about hardware versus um, versus in the box, it really um, in the end it really is about which tool is appropriate for which thing. Sometimes I find tracks that have. Uh, not enough stereo width, and there are some great mid-side plugins that do an awesome job at that. Sometimes a track just needs a little bit of warmth, so it's running it out and running it through a tube preamp and back in, and that little bit gives it the saturation and the glue that it needs um, and balances it out properly, and then a few other things to clean it up, doing some some EQ and... Um, and some compression are really great, but there's also a lot of great repair tools out there. Like I love um, Isotope's uh, Neutron or Neutron, however you would say it. Um, that suite is really good. I don't use Ozone very much. I find that that's kind of very, uh, there are some really great aspects to Ozone that I have used in the past, but I love a lot of the UAD tools too, because um, I'm, I don't have $30,000 to spend on a Fairchild compressor, you know, but it, but a $300 emulation of one that maybe gets, you know, 90% of the sound, maybe that's a, that, that's a much better bargain for me. And I don't think that a client who brings me a track to master is concerned about whether I spent 30,000 euros on this hardware compressor. They, what the, what they want in the end is something that gives them the result of, a good pair of ears with sophisticated tools that are well chosen for the needs of that particular track. So in the event that I have things where some of my hardware is good for it, awesome. That's what I'll use because I love to use the gear that I have. Um, Cause like Hiroko was saying, I, you know, I'm still paying for it. So I want to make value out of it. Uh, But, you know, in some things, the the plugins are just in some situations, the plugins are better because I can set something up, uh, do a a first pass on a master, go to sleep, come back to the studio the next day and listen to it. And it's all exactly how I left it without having to print that uh, that recording. Mm. Um, But all of my stuff goes out. The one thing I will say is all of my stuff goes out to something and comes back at some point in the chain, because I do find that. Um, converting something, especially because sometimes I'll get 16-bit files at, you know, 44 kilohertz, and I want to get that a little bit more dynamic, so I'll run it out through my converters at 24 or 32 and 48 kilohertz. Um, that's been an interesting thing also, is that working in post-production with all of my video stuff, everything has to be 48 kilohertz. So I've spent a lot of time figuring out what, um, what kind of... Uh, 
rates are best for me. And I find that 48 is actually, I, I get great results with that. But I've, one of, some of the other folks in this building say that they get amazing results at 88 or 192. So, um, you know, those are, those are interesting debates. But anyway, I, I do feel like getting it out through a piece of hardware and coming back because I have nice converters. Um, what do you what do you recommend ones? people send files for mixdown? What what's your for for mixdowns or for mastering? For your mastering, so sending you something to master. What's your recommendation? My my thing is always if you can do twenty four bit, that's the best. Um, thirty two bit will get some nice aspects. When when I can get thirty two bit, that's great. But most people don't need to record at thirty two bit because they're not using gear or converters that really get a lot of that extra value out of those those extra bit that extra bit depth um 24 bit is always better than 16 and um anything above 44 kilohertz is great but 44 is fine i mean i'm i'm a firm believer that the nyquist theorem is is pretty spot on and that you don't really get a whole lot of value out of that extra sample rate except for um, people who are maybe using things that don't do, do oversampling. At this point, most plugins do oversampling. And so the value of going, you know, 2x Nyquist is, uh, or beyond 2x Nyquist is, um, is you know, if, you're, if, you're, if your plugins or your system does oversampling already, then, then you're good to go at 44 or even 48. Um, I, and if I'm talking too nerdy, please just... Uh, no, it's no, back up. Ask, ask, ask if any of that. But yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time kind of going through this stuff and figuring out what has the the most impact. Um, but but yeah, like I said, some folks have had amazing results from um, like my friend Manny was talking about. He goes up to uh, eighty eight kilohertz sample rate and found that that gave him um, just you know, a, a lot of interesting dynamic range results. I, I haven't encountered that as much. I find that going up to 48 gives me the extra headroom I need, and that's an, an easy constant. But yeah, so to answer your question, Hiroko, always do 24-bit when you can, because that will give more dynamic range and a little bit more definition to things. Um, and the sample rate, generally, the higher you go is great, but you don't have to go all the way up to 192. At least that's not my experience. Do any of you guys feel differently about that speedy uh yo, yo i'm sorry i called you speedy uh, Yogum. yeah yo -cho, yo -cho. Yo -cho. Uh, do you what's what's your feeling on that stuff i i record everything uh 48k 24 bit um and wow that, that, okay. that is yeah. that is usually uh i feel that captures the the nuance of the yeah the vintage sound you know the the yeah. the, the hardware gear is the best you know yeah um and like you said, there's there's a, a lot of dynamics left. You know, if you if you get a clean signal, if you can if you record it, you know, in a very, um, yeah, not too loud, not too weak, you know, and and everything stays intact. If if I use those uh, rates, and it sounds fine, you know, it sounds fine to me. I've tried uh, higher uh, rates, but um, the funny thing is. Uh, the higher you go, the the thinner it becomes. It, the thinner it sounds in my ears. You know, there's so much mm. uh, definition. The the, the 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 body is sort of um, um, gone. You know, by then, mm. and um, I, I like a chunky sound. You know, so it's uh, uh, for me those rates work the best. Yeah. So it's uh, that's what I always do. And everything that I've 
done for the last I don't know decade is in the same um, is it with with those settings, and it works fine. Yeah. I got. Yeah, I guess. Um, it depends on what what sort of project it is, right? Like if it's a yeah. tech, like a straight up techno track, perhaps you don't need as much of that of the um, definition as maybe something that's more of like a sound design piece or something. Yeah, true. Yeah. But there, the I mean, body, the, to, ha- to have it to have it as a starting point is 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 cool because there are so many ways ways to destroy your signal afterwards. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> once you yeah. once you got it pr- printed with uh, with with a good um, in good quality, you can. Um, yeah, you can you can make whatever you, you can make from it whatever you want after that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cedric is saying, "Who needs twenty-four bit when you have compression?" Oh, you mean like the end user will listen to it on uh, on Spotify or uh, or YouTube or whatever right. <laughs> <It's, laughs> on their phone? Yeah, no, but I mean it's it's also a little bit of um, um, how how good can you get it? You know, it's a challenge. You know, it's. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's just nice to have your your recording sounding really nice in the places where it can sound nice, you know. Yeah, I think you know. I think that um, the, the the you can't always re- you can't really compensate for any of for every particular place something might get heard because if it's going through Spotify on AirPods on somebody's phone while they're riding the bus. Um, you know, there, there's only so much you control you have over that, but you want to make it sound the best it can in the best scenario possible. And then everything else beyond that will eventually be as good as it can be, right? You're always do aiming you, for the top Do you standard. make different masters for all these platforms? Because they all tend to sound slightly differently. And I offer uh, that to folks. Um, right. I, I've offered that and I give people the option. Um, you know, I can give something because, you know, a lot of my work for post-production also talks about these same issues of loudness thresholds and loudness standards. So there's one standard for YouTube. There's one standard for broadcast TV. There's another standard for Spotify. There's, you know, and there's all these different platforms. Um, And so I can deliver things based on those different loudness targets. But what I generally tend to tell people is I'm going to give you one master. The first master I'm going to give you is the one that I think sounds best. And then we can go from there and optimize for the other platforms. But generally, um, your target should always be make it sound good and, you know, make it sound the best it can for that particular track's needs. And yeah, then it's a ne- it's, it would be the never-ending. Uh, yeah, but it, it would be a never-ending story because you know if Spotify decides to change their um, algorithm or change their uh, uh, sound optimizing uh, tool, whatever they use, um, you you might be worse off than than, uh, than than if you would just give them the the standard master. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a battle you can't you can't win basically. There's different that, philosophies. It's all in to flux it, all the time. Yeah, it is. It is. And and you're right that there's no point in giving Spotify the ultimate say on how your music sounds, right? That's silly because like you said, Spotify might change their thing or, you know, who knows, maybe down the road, nobody cares about Spotify. That would be nice. Mm, but, um, be. <laughs> but there are some people that <laughs> there are some people that I do mastering for who are, you know, kind of they're more in the pop realm and they're not in techno or they're not making stuff for dance floors. And Spotify is the place, the place their music is going to get heard. And if it's a choice between optimizing it for that or optimizing it for other things that they don't really care about, if they're building their career on Spotify and that's what they want as the service provider, I should do what the client wants and give them 
the best thing that is going to, you know, meet their needs. It, but is, yeah, Spotify, general, is Spotify just applying a compression ratio or are they actually doing some EQing for their platform? It's just, it's just, like you said, it's just, it's not quite compression. It's similar. It's, it's limiting and loudness, uh, compensation. So what it does is it reads the loudness average and then up or down regulates the playback gain based on that loudness profile. So it's not necessarily about peak limiting um, as my, or true peak as it is about uh, what, what the standard is uh, loudness units, full scale LUFS. Um, and so if your thing is louder than their normal threshold, then they'll down They'll downregulate it, and your stuff will come back played a little bit quieter than the others. And if your stuff is quieter, then obviously they'll turn it up. And I think there has been, and of course, this is the problem with tech, is that none of us know exactly what's going on in the algorithms, as Yelkin was talking about. Um, so, But some of the things have said that basically if your stuff is too loud, not only will it push down the playback volume, but it will also not serve it up in as many playlists. So there are all these factors that management folks and label folks are thinking about, about how they can get their stuff played more on Spotify and have it sound as loud as possible through the algorithm. And there's a lot of gamesmanship that's involved in that. And I try not to get sucked into that stuff when I'm, um, when I'm doing stuff for a client, but if a client wants that and that's important to them, then, you know, of course I'll do my best to, to give them what they need. Mm. I had do, no uh, idea. <laughs> it's a whole other world, right? Yeah. 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 The annoying thing is that, you know, they, they have the, the right or they, they, they can easily change something in their system overnight and, and you're basically you're fucked, you know? So um, I don't know. It's it's a really deep thing to get into, <laughs> and then you um, won't you... get that quarter of a cent per play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Hiroko and uh, Jesse, are you are you um, mastering your own tracks? Have you dabbled in that, or are you? Um... Me, I I'm terrible. I don't even I can't mix, <laughs> I, I can't mix my own tracks. Even it's, it's shameful. Um, it's one of those things that. Uh, early on in production, it was something I was really obsessed with and would really dial everything in before I started. And I just wasn't getting things done. I was really more obsessed with getting the sound correct instead of making music. Um, and then at a certain point, I kind of just said, fuck it, and then made the music with all sorts of frequency clashes and things in wrong places <laughs> and and really found that people in my circle or friends just had a better ear on this stuff. And they're, they're, they study this and they understand exactly, you know, there's a science to this, right? And there's a dedication and a professionalism behind it that um, I don't mind supporting or paying somebody to do. And sometimes they have, there'll be disagreements on the mix. And I think that actually helps the process a bit too, because, Sometimes people just say, this is ridiculous that you're having these things happen at once. And to me, it sounds great. Um, but then I take that and play it at a club and it sounds terrible. And I'm like, man, mm. I really should have listened. Um, yeah. So they, I, I get things in kind of a playable state where it's not um, gross. I've, I've learned a little bit through people <laughs> yelling at me about things. But um for me, it's really about just capturing what I'm doing, doing something kind of musical at that time, keeping everything separate um, and being logical about it, right? Knowing what is absolutely out of bounds and, and what's clashing. 
Um, and, but that's just more by ear uh, than kind of science and knowing where things need to be in, in the spectrum and that kind of stuff. And so mm. I'll generally pass the stems out to someone else with my really crappy mix down that I'll send to Lander and then send off to somebody and be like, this sounds great. And they're like, this is terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, lots of times I get back something a lot better than I thought it was because um, things are just not in the place they're supposed to be. So um yeah, don't ever ask me to mix anything or math. <laughs> no, be. it's great. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. you can just focus on your on on the expression, you know, on on whatever you want to uh, convey, and then and then just leave leave the other stuff to the people who are uh, obsessed yeah, wh- with that part I, of it. Right. <laughs> when I let that go, I feel like it helped me create more. Right. When I was yeah. just like, I suck at this. Right. Let's not play around and pretend that I'm I have any ability to do this. And just years of DJing have really kind of diminished my hearing, unfortunately, in some areas of frequencies and stuff. So I just wrote it off. Maybe someday I'll be able to come back to it. Yeah. I actually think there's something cool about uh, about totally disregarding, blocking all that out, because I think it it gives you the space to come up with more radical ideas. Yeah, I was, I I was, that, like, I was thinking really the same thing. Really precise tracks are almost yeah. too common. There's almost too many tracks that sound too good. I yeah. like a track that sounds kind of renegade and like off yeah. the wall and maybe a little bit wrong, but it's super yeah. adventurous. To me, that's more exciting. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I mean, sometimes uh, um, it, is, it is just... Um, um, uh, it, it gives some. It gives the track an extra uh, interesting factor, you know. If if something is sitting in the wrong place, or the snare is way too loud, or you know, the bass is clashing, or you know, something like that, you know, it could, it can be uh, a feature, you know. Uh, character. If it's, if it's not, yeah, character. If it's not like um, uh, done um, according to the rules, whatever they are, you know. So um, I'm I'm into messy sounding tracks, to be honest. But uh, of course, they have to. If if they are made to be played out, they have to um, sit in some range of st- a standard that people can use. Of course, you know, if 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 it if the translation is okay, you know, then it's fine. But if if the translation is wrong, then 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 it makes sure it makes sense. You you get it mastered or. Um, mixed by somebody else, but but weird levels. I'm I uh, <laughs> I love it. You know, like a weird yeah. clashing. <laughs> what about you? I'd like Jesse? to be surprised. Yeah. Uh, uh, to mastering, not so much. I mean, for me, I try to get my mixes to be as close to what they ought to be. Um, I'm by no means like a master, you know, uh, engineer, but I'm definitely more to in the school of uh, making something that's more expressive and is um, kind of pushing things a bit. Um, I I appreciate really well done, like hyper clean uh, productions, but I also also really like get excited about, for instance, like old Aphex when the original stuff was just like so murky and and all over the place, but it, it just really stands out as being, like very memorable and unique. So uh, I, I feel like the, the more character and the more of the personality and whatever spirit of the moment is captured in, in the recording is, is what interests me, especially now, I think. Um, so I find like I've wasted so much time laboring over arrangements that it seems like 
what I'm really looking for is like a spirit and a moment. And it's better just to turn a tape recorder on and get that, even if it's not, not perfectly uh, balanced out, but it captures a certain feeling. And I think that, you know, luckily with techno, that's sort of what you want in a lot of ways. And there are ways to go back and kind of like zhuzh it up afterwards. So that's sort of what I'm attempting right now. I think your, your approach, yeah, it's, it's close to how I approach it. um, Because it also contributes to having it more sounding more authentic in a way, you know, mm. because you're 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 capturing something that was there and then, and it it's sort of uh, uh, it's a moment in time that you basically capture and 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 keep, you know, and and if you if you would have gone back into it and and adjusted it to such an extent that it's kind of. Uh, yeah, you program the life out of it in 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 a certain way, you know. Then, yeah. um, it is pretty pointless, you know. You'd rather have it be a bit more imperfect um, and and uh, more authentic in a way. Yeah, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. think of like all the old house tracks, you know, they're all over the place. I mean, you know, but they, there's something about terrible. them. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. there's something about them that's so addictive and like. Yeah, there, absolutely. There is a glue to them that is like more of like the essence of what they were saying in a way mm. and the groove, etc. Yeah. So, it's more punk yeah. rock too. I think that was, yeah, the absolutely. It felt like really immediate and fresh and expressive and kind of renegade. I keep saying that word, but yeah, they just felt like mm-hmm. unencumbered and that's ma- that's what makes people dance. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're making dance tracks, you want to make music that makes people feel free. And if it, yeah. if, if you're, if you feel free when you're making it, that is going to come through in what you make. Um, yeah. But I like, I also like that part about um, Hiroko's process too, which is like feeling free when you make it, not being encumbered by ideas about what's proper or what's not, but then also handing it off to someone else who can help kind of corral that into the place where it can maybe hit the mark while still retaining all those, you know, free ideas. And that's yeah. I mean, in my most, in most of the nice sound balance. engineers I know are just they're they are scientists when it comes to this stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is really a lot of knowledge and experience and really a lot of know how they bring to the table and I think it's a really worthwhile thing to work with somebody like that. And and I know a lot for me a lot of was like this techno ethos where it's all DIY, right? Where you really should be finishing your project yourself and that's part of the expression is, is, is doing that. And I got obsessed with that a little too much, right? Where it was like, well, if I don't do this, I'm kind of cheating, right? Cause this is a big part of this, how it's spaced out and how it sounds. And um, yeah, it'd be great if I could, but um, you got to know what you're bad at sometimes in life, too, right? and, you know, and, and recognize that there are people that really excel at something and 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 use those relationships and and support those businesses too because they're such an important part of that process as well i also think that there's like this idea that um that music especially in the electronic realm is only made by one person who's this genius that has this idea and executes it from beginning to end completely themselves i think that that's actually a bit of an illusion because if you look at I mean, even Yokum in your history, you know, you've done so much stuff all by yourself and 
you're super adept at things, but there's people who you've collaborated with who I'm sure you've learned from. And I think about you are, you know, the underground resistance guys to me stand out as one of the earliest inspirations for me. And that was totally a collective where lots of people were contributing things and sharing ideas with each other or pushing each other forward with, you know, improving certain aspects of their music. I really don't believe in this idea that you have to be a hermit in a box and make everything perfect and deliver it, you know, all by yeah. yourself. I, I a like genius. collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn a lot, if, especially if you have the opportunity to sit with another engineer in a studio and you're able to observe what they're doing and their technique. I mean, it's, it's just about really kind of like accessing that information from other people's technique and experience. Um, I, 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 I really recommend that. Oh, thanks. Likewise. <laughs> we had a lot of time together. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, but yeah, you know, there's lots of other friends that, that I've learned from Tim Xavier, JPLS, uh, Alden Tyrell, all these people who, you know, I pick up little bits from them as I'm learning my own stuff. I ask them for a, a, a question or, or an idea and it pushes me into other things that I'm learning. Yoakum, who have you learned from? I'm sure there's lots of people who've learned from you. Yeah. And I've, I've done so many collaborations and also in, the, in, the, in this space in the last four years. Um, yeah, I must say it's, it's a great way to, um, to learn things and to also um, every collaboration teaches you something about the person you're working with, but also something about yourself, you know? And um, yeah, by, by uh, I, I mean, everybody has such, uh, developed such unique processes and, and approaches to things um, and some of th some of the things you can adopt or or keep in your mind or add to your arsenal and other things you yeah that don't fit you you can basically just dismiss them or um, but it's it's really cool to observe anyway and to to see how people approach things um, and uh, yeah so I, I I would say collaboration is a is a is one of the the main things that teaches me new things the main yeah. uh, ways um, but I mean um, I've also done stuff just by myself for years and um, th those were projects that were made in a time when when you basically had to figure out everything yourself you know which which is another good way of learning things because mm. I mean it's it's great you have millions of uh, YouTube tutorials and <laughs> you know, demos and stuff. Um, but there's also something to say for just, you know, sit down with a, with a piece of gear and just learn about it. Just see what, what happens when, when you mm -hmm. navigate it and, and just uh, see what, yeah, what you can do with it and find your own way of working with it. Um, so, um, yes, uh, but, um, yeah, but the, the collaborations here are, are pretty much um, all done in in the in the way that i've set the studio up you know like more like a live jam approach mm -hmm. um and i mean the the thing comes together as a jam or as a like a, a continuous recording basically but uh, the way or the amount of editing afterwards varies from from project to project or from collaboration to collaboration some of some of it is basically uh, heavily edited afterwards because uh, the process of recording live was was like more like a sound design session, if you know what I mean. Like more like getting sounds the sound right and combinations and stuff. And others um, were basically just other things came out as they were recorded. So only like a few touch ups and and you know cut the big cut, find a beginning and an end and that's it. You know. Um, 
so yeah, but um, um, I, I like to I like to figure out things myself most of the time. To be honest, that's um, something I, I really enjoy. It's part of the part of the fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think really, I'm just, at this point after a decade of being or and more if, of um, recording, and I just find it very important to stay connected in different ways to like the creativity and what what kind of like feeds my curiosity. And if it's a, if it means like a conversation with someone about how they sort of uh, use a piece of gear or, or their philosophy on, on how they're able to complete things, it's, it's all kind of connected together. And I think that um, especially now, like speaking to um, people starting out, it's, it's really exciting and offering sort of tips on, I don't know, simplifying or remembering like what, what's important or in, just encouraging people to, to stay creative and really like connect to what they really like. I think it's, it's the nicest thing about the whole process. So I'm glad you yeah, said that. I mean, that's, what, that's really cool. I appreciate too. it still. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool that you said that. Cause I think that there is, especially right now, there is so much more value in sharing without, thinking too much about monetizing things or thinking about ambition. I think especially right now, it's been in some ways like a really healthy moment to just step back and do things like this, right? Like non-twiddlers is a great example of doing things that like we were talking about before, it's not about management or PR or how you're going to turn this into a new brand idea that you're going to like, you know, make a ton of money off of. Instead, it's about sharing knowledge, sharing space, being friendly with people and just communicating and being open. I, I think there's so much to gain from that. That's, that's not really about business. It's just about knowledge and inspiration. Yeah. Stay connected to a creative community is, is important, especially now when everyone's kind of like locked away. <laughs> yeah. On that yeah. note, uh, uh, come uh, hang out in the, on the discord server. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, the the we've we've created this uh, after like four or five episodes. We added the Discord server uh, as a as a part of this thing, and uh, we basically have a, 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 I think I don't know maybe uh, yeah several hundred maybe a thousand people there wow. who who are just constantly discussing the things that we are discussing here. You know, and and the cool thing is about about it. It's a place where. Um, people who are aspiring producers or musicians um, are, you know, engaging in conversation with people who have decades of experience, you know, and there's no hierarchy or people can mm-hmm. just um, exchange ideas, you know, ask questions. And um, it's a cool place. Uh, oh, yeah. And Cedric yes. says, and discussing <laughs> headphones and ramen mostly. <laughs> That's part I'll of jump. it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll jump in on the ramen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that was the thing that convinced you, right? <laughs> send, me, send me all the ramen recommendations. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all for all discussions of ramen. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, Robin started that. He was the, the, the ramen specialist in, uh, on Discord. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, but it's cool because, um, yeah, it is a way to stay connected and to uh, have a direct interaction with um, uh, with people from all, um, you know, in in all categories. And even genres are, are not really important there. <laughs> Ramen comes through, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, well, uh, Robin, Robin's last name is Kamsgoer, so his name is oh, Robin okay. Kamsgoer, but we call him Ramen Kamsgoer now. Nice. Okay. <laughs> it's a good name. Um, 
yeah. So, um, yeah, it's uh, um, it's nice to um, um, it's like it's sort of like this is the this is like a, a virtual pub, you know, where we hang out and uh, as a surrogate for running into each other during touring season, basically. And the Discord is more like the WhatsApp group that is uh, uh, with a, a larger amount of people. So gotcha. it's, a, it's a cool place. Uh, what time are we living now? Oh, it's it's uh, ten thirty. Um, I was gonna uh, see. Yoko, I had are... a question for you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, I was just I was just trying to uh, oh. go back into the comment mode. But yeah, go go for it. I there's a thing that you made at, many years ago um, that I used and loved, and somehow I I can't find the actual. It's in my library somewhere but i can't access it it was this thing called create it was like a sample library yeah. that you made um it's, but it was more than yeah. a sample library it was kind of like an instrument slash tool in contact um but mm -hmm. i can't seem to uh can't seem to get it to work again because it's probably from on an older operating system that it was made for what happened with that um well at the time when i i, I made it um uh, yeah the whole idea was of there there was a series i think otto von schirach made an edition and I think there were a total of three or four editions, uh, but the company no, no longer exi exists. Uh, it basically came oh. on a DVD with a contact license. Uh, yeah. A play, uh, what is it called? Like a contact um, player. Yeah, a contact player. Uh, and basically, all the sounds in there were designed by myself. It's funny how how that worked. Actually, I, th you know, they they were asking me to do this uh, sound library, and I thought, okay. I'll just go through my hard drive and just throw everything in, and then, uh, yeah, <laughs> then I should be done in in uh, in a few days, you know. But um, I collected basically everything that that was useful for 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 this project, and I only had like two percent of the entire space filled, you know. So it was like, oh my god! So I did I did weeks and weeks of recordings and and sound design. Um, sessions to to get the whole thing done but uh yeah <laughs> something i underestimated but it came out as a as a player with all these uh, instruments so some of them had a sequencer in there some of them had a i don't know there were uh you know just drum kits across the keyboard or um you know or one sound across the keyboard with which would you know basically created synths as well you know like sample based synths yeah. um I don't run it anymore. I've, I actually, by the time I was finished with it, I, I, I was kind of done with it. <laughs> I didn't even use it that much myself. But I do, uh, you know, people remind me about this very often because it, what happened to you happened to most people. You know, they had it on their computer and, uh, you know, at some point it stopped working because of the compatibility. Uh, yeah. I still do have all the sounds, though. I still have all the sounds without the instrument. So... Uh, I sometimes draw from those, yes, because some of them were are still useful. Um, anyway, have, um, have you ever been tempted to make another sample library, or is it too much uh, work? Yeah, too much work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, the, the, I'm I used to be into working on sample-based things a lot more than I am these days. You know, um, uh, I mean the. I've done some albums which were pretty much all sample based. So I would do sound design sessions and then create like uh, uh, huge banks of, of um, um, loops and, and fucked up loops and variations of those loops, you know, or, or samples really. Um, and then just um, uh, jam with those. Uh, 
because you know it's it's like calligraphy you know you first uh, spent like five five hours you know making your tools ready and then at this when the sun goes down you make you make your quick sketch you know and that that was sort of my working method so basically prepare everything uh get it ready to to uh yeah to be to be used in a very quick and um spontaneous way um but that is so much work you know i i like the um directness of of um just running things uh, just creating creating uh, setups and running things in real time a lot better now um because the sound design with even you know you know thanks to things like modular systems and it's it's just endless you know um, uh, yeah and uh, that is just a very it's a much quicker way to get to get results that are still very personal and very um edited and tuned um sample management Sample management just takes so much organization and yeah. and and, yeah. and prep work, and you're exhausted by the time you've kind of gotten all that together, and then you're listening to fifty different samples, and they all start sounding the same after a little while. And, and yeah, and 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 if if you approach it like that, uh, you end up maybe using just a handful of samples from the entire uh, bank you've built, you know. But there is something cool. to it, though. I like I like the the routine of preparing for a long time and having this anticipation of what you might be able to do with it afterwards, you know. So you build up this anticipation and this this uh, um, you get you you. Find you make you're making yourself familiar with the material before you even use it, you know. So it is like a um, a process of um, preparing and thinking about what you're going to do, and then there comes the moment where you actually do it, and that usually comes together very quick, you know. Uh, so there is something to it, you know. There's there's a, a charm to it, but it's um, yeah, it's just not in my system at the moment. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I have a question for all everybody. Everybody, if every, anybody who wants to answer this, um, how much have you found the the like the blend from what you hear as a DJ and how that filters into your production? How much of a how 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 strong of a wall is there, or is it an it, open interplay between the two? It's it's kind of a tough thing because like you get a sense of what's hot, right? And you get a sense of what people are enjoying and getting a reaction to. And then, you know, do you consider that a cheat sometimes, right? You're like, this is like that track that's going to do it kind of situation. Um, I, I guess I'm one of those producers, though. Like, if I hear a track and I think it's great, I probably even couldn't reproduce it myself, though, right? Like, my, my production methods and the way that I approach things, um, a lot of it is on the fly. So if I wanted to remake this crazy business techno track, I probably couldn't, right? It's its own thing. So I think a lot of my process kind of makes the sound because it's a lot of jamming and exploration. And I don't necessarily go into things with the idea of, like, this is how this track is going to sound, right? Maybe yeah. there's some rough ideas, um, mm. but I'm wrestling with half the equipment half the time, right? So it's not giving me that exact sound that I want, but it gives me a sound that I like lots of times, yeah. and then that is what starts the track off, right? Or it starts that piece of it. So 
lots of times I'll go in with this idea that I'm going to do this thing, and then 80% of the time it's gone off the rails in the first hour. So um, I take, I definitely take inspiration from songs that I hear, especially artists that I'm friends with that are playing their own music. Like you get really inspired by someone's song. You're like, wow, I can't believe this person made this track. You know, Jesse makes a new track and I'm just really jealous or something for a minute that he pulled it off. Um, just get some really inventive ideas come out of there. And then you start questioning yourself. You're like, man, I need to get a little bit more inventive or, or take more risks in these things. And then my risks end up sounding really terrible. But um, it's, it's important to know for me, like I, I consider myself as a DJ, kind of like a party DJ, right? I came from the rave scene. So when I DJ, I want you to dance, right? You know, I don't necessarily want you to have this like introspective moment um, feeling really bad about stuff, maybe just for a little bit of the set, but, um, you know, the sets are there, you know, to convey a certain message. And so, um, there is an aspect to the track that is definitely about dancing and about dance floor. Mm -hmm. Once that kind of basis is there, then I'll take those liberties to kind of add my own things around that. Right. And kind of bend what is that rule. So, um, it's always it's always looming in my head. Like, is this like a dance floor club ready track? Um, but they just never really come out that way. So mm. uh, I don't know if it's just by my own skill set or the way I approach things. Um, yeah, simple, complicated answer. No, that's a great answer. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, um, similarities to how you. Um, how you do it and what my my process is because i i really never have um um an idea of where it should go i just let it happen you know sort of like uh, 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 like freestyle cooking basically you know <laughs> just see what what works and see what mood you're in and um i mean uh, the, the, i found this that, that this direct way this sort of live way is is very productive and um everything on the, in the scale or in the range that i want to um to happen will eventually happen you know so i'm not just i'm not going to um start out with okay this is this end result is the des desirable thing that i'm af i'm going after now um i'm just you know freestyling and see just let the music take me where 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 it goes and uh and then um you know over the span of like a few months or a year some of them will be useful as a dance floor track and others might just be just complete weird or you know very useless in that regard but still musically interesting so i just let it happen and when when it comes along it comes along you know i'm just i'm not hunting for it or i'm not setting out to to do something specifically you know it's just uh yeah in the end you know i take the sort of bird's eye view long-term view and it it will happen at some point you know yeah yeah that's cool what about you jesse uh, at, now I really feel like I have a lot of freedom because I, I, I've kind of like accepted that when I have gigs, it will be for, um, uh, for reasons or that I will enjoy. And it's going to be less about, I'm less stuck trying to make money from it. So I think that is also really affecting how I make music or there's less stress about 
I'm still struggling to survive, but I'm not um, struggling to survive because of music. <laughs> so That's I'm able fun. to just like really Write like. That down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm. I want to be able to make music that I find is like unique and says something and captures a moment and yeah. is you know tells a story of of some sort of imaginary situation and that is not just like um, completely uh, throwaway functional electronic music, which is fine. But I think, you know, that's just not how my mind works. And I'm really intrigued by like more chaotic moments and, and sounds that have humor or that are scary or sad, you know, that have some kind of mood to them. And I think that's the most important thing for me. And if the, you know, if they get played, they get played, but ideally they will kind of sit somewhere and not just disappear. But I mean, there's so much music out there at this point. It's like, um, it's just more of an addictive, like, um, I don't know what to do with myself otherwise. So yeah. I'm still doing it. <laughs> I love but, that yeah. answer, Jesse. That's so, like, I, w- I want to write that down. That was so inspiring. <laughs> I really, really like that. You nailed it. Uh, that's, that's super true. I think finding the inspiration and letting go of, uh, expectations or, you know, acceptance or, or how things are received is, I think, always the birth of something really important and special. And, and mm-hmm. especially if it's at a moment where, you know, so many of us are kind of processing what the future looks like or what's going, what's going on in the current moment and not trying to necessarily articulate it, but kind of more unconsciously just letting it flow through you. I think you mm-hmm. find a lot musically and, and artistically. I think that's a really good, I love that answer, Jesse. That was really Thanks. good. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And not to be so precious about everything and right. just really like trust your, your taste. Thank you. <laughs> trust your abilities, trust your taste, experiment, collaborate, and yeah, yeah. enjoy what you have really. And, and learn your machines as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. How about you, Kevin? Yeah. What about you? I, you know, very similar to Jesse, I've kind of gotten to a place where I don't know that I, there, there used to be very much a relationship between what I was playing in clubs and what that would influence when I sat down in the studio, you know, the following week. Um, And now I'm so far removed from that, uh, that, in a lot of ways, I'm just now kind of finding my way back to writing that feels really free and independent. Um, and in that way, it, it's refreshing. Um, but I don't know even if I'm ready to share that music with the world. Uh, or, or, and I don't necessarily know that it is what, what it is finally going towards, right? It might, I might be in the intermediate step between where I was and where I want to be soon enough. But I also do think that there's some value in that relationship of, like you were saying, Hiroko, playing stuff that's meant for the dance floor, coming back to the studio and kind of failing at recreating that. Because I think that that failure actually represents a positive step, right? I think about this all the time, that like house music came about to a large degree because Jamie Principal was trying to, or was inspired by Prince, right? And then guys from Detroit heard the stuff that was going on in Chicago that Jamie Principal and Frankie Knuckles were were playing, and they tried to emulate that, and 
they didn't do it, right? So, like, Jamie Principal couldn't make Prince records, and Juan Atkins and Derek May and Kevin Saunderson and Eddie Folks couldn't make Jamie Principal records, but somehow each miss got another iteration out to a place that, like, inspired a movement that, you know, changed the world, right? So those things in some ways, you know, and I think about this all the time, like, you know, of course, the Rolling Stones could never do or it'd never be Muddy Waters. But in mm. trying to do that and missing that target, they came up with something that, you know, is now a fucking corporation. So I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily the goal. But, you know, like they made something that inspired a lot of people out of missing their target. And basically everything I love is a bad copy of the thing that they were trying to <laughs> emulate and that bad copy becomes something original to someone else that inspires them to and i i think that's a beautiful thing i don't think that i don't believe in this idea of originality in the same way that we were talking about i don't necessarily believe that you should be a genius in a cave to come up with something that's mm -hmm. never been heard before i think you right. take from what you hear you synthesize yeah. it and you make it in ways that nobody else could make um out of it and and there's something beautiful and creative out of that yeah, yeah you you basically find your own voice you know by yeah by just, uh, browsing through all the all, all the things that you like ideas that are are that you feel connected to and then like you said you synthesize your your own version from it and um yeah i, I wish uh, lady starlight was here tonight because she has the best quote on on the bad copy uh, thing you just mentioned oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can't remember quite what it was maybe she's there anyway um uh, make wrong to do good i like that that's yeah, a really good yeah, quote. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean you know colleen is one of those people who also doesn't overthink things she just gets in the studio and just starts banging stuff out yeah. and you can see it in her live sets and in her productions is uh you know she just she doesn't overthink it she just does it immediately and what comes out is always good and even if it's not the best thing she's made she's on to the next one and that might be better so she's yeah. she's got that process dialed in really well as yeah. also you just mentioned before uh, kevin that you you are uh, creating things and uh, you're not quite sure whether how you should um value it or what what purpose it it takes is that how you usually do things you just no. uh, record things and 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 wait for the right moment or are, are you still forming the idea about uh how does it work because um i'm like you know why should if it's good why hold on to it you know i've always been like you uh mm -hmm. for you know 13 14 years that's been my mindset and in the last two or three years i've gotten to this place where I've had this kind of um, internal conflict, uh, ambivalence, if you will, um, <laughs> about uh, about what I'm making and why I want it out, right? Because while I was focused on DJing as my primary source of survival, um, that was a machine and that machine needed to be fed by whatever I was making at that time. And so, yeah, like you said, why hold back? Just get it out because if it's my, if it's what I've made and I like it, don't wait, get it out mm -hmm. while it's fresh because it might not make sense in a year. So get it out now. And if it doesn't make sense now, maybe it'll make sense in a year, but at least at that point it'll still already be on shelves. So that was how I was always thinking. And in the last few years, I've come to this place where I have um, just different feelings about how I want to personally engage with my music and also different feelings about how the process of releasing um, affects the creative process of making. And so 
I've been making. And also to a certain degree, I, I started making stuff that didn't make sense or didn't fit with any of the aliases or projects that I'd had before. So earlier this year when the pandemic hit, I made an album that was just not so much ambient, but just very chill, relaxing stuff because that's what I needed more than anything. And that's what my friends needed and my family needed and my you know parents and nephews needed music to like relax and decompress to. So I made that because I wasn't really thinking about dance floors. So my context or my, my ideas about what I'm making and who it's meant for has changed a lot. And so I'm taking, taking the opportunity right now to just step back, keep making, keep asking myself those questions about what do I want to make or what am I interested in pursuing or getting better at, um, but not thinking so much about who is this for, when will it come out and who's going to play it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I like um, when when I would do that. I, I did that did that in the past. You know, hold on to a um, a lot of a bo- sort of like a bulk uh, of of tracks or um, a body of uh, of music, and and then kind of uh, invent a concept afterwards <laughs> before releasing it. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sort of let it marinate in your head. What you know? How can you kind of put this together and 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 sort of imagine. Uh, the story about the entirety of it, you know, like the, uh, I, I, I mean, I think many artists do that, you know, uh, sort of cheat by inventing the concept afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> instead of yeah. which, in, in so in those cases, I would I would hold on to it and and then just uh, when it all clicks together, okay, what should it be? What's the what's the the, the story? Uh, put it out, you know. But now I'm more like a. Um, committed to vinyl and be done with it you know next chapter it's more productive for me for me at the moment i think you've got a great system for that i mean the way you do it with being able to record it all in a place either as a collaboration or on your own and just get it straight out to cut vinyl that's an amazing process that's that's in a way that process is uh, it's a it's a voice. It's an identity. It's a it's a concept. To yeah, itself. you know, you yeah. know, I I did I did albums for 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 years. You know, for uh, for bigger labels like Warp and Novamute. And what would happen is you would spend uh, a year or so or so or maybe six months or at least a long time to create uh, an album, and and then you had to. You would send in your dead tape, and then uh, you you would get a slot eight months down the road, you know, for your release. So by the time it gets your album was released, I was bloody sick and tired of the music already. You know, I was like already on the, onto the next thing. And then you know that's how these things work. You know, an artist does an album, an artist tours with the album, and then there will be a next album at some point. But um, I I always disliked uh, the idea of, of of having to sort of go back to the music you were thinking about a year or a year and a half ago. Um, so at the you know at some point I started my own label when when the whole music industry kind of uh, changed from um, you know that record and CD selling thing to online online uh, music stores like uh, the, the, you know first you had the Napster phase and then you know iTunes happened and Beatport and stuff and when that was when that happened I thought wow this is the solution to everything you know you can just um, you know play you know do stuff in your studio and in theory by in a week later it could be online or it could be in the store you know and that gave me a lot of inspiration uh, of starting the label and, and experiment with formats because there was no fixed 
there was no limit to track lengths or or you know the amount of versions you could put on something you know you could do way more than um yeah you could treat the format differently you didn't have to stick stick to the vinyl or cd format that is you know quite limited uh but you know by by the time uh we were um you know a few years later um it kind of sort of became uh the sort of old model again like signing an artist for the label six months uh before the release and you know you got these waiting times and production times and everything so it, it became like the sort of like the old school label again we had to plan releases uh, sometimes up to a year in advance you know so then i thought okay uh, we're back to square one you know <laughs> and then i thought okay why did do i not cut everything out and and you know have this direct thing um just all in the same building so that's why we got the when we got the final machine hmm. and yeah. uh so now it's it's it is really my sort of dream um um setup you know you cook things up in in the lab here and um it in theory it can be on bandcamp in 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 the same week you know and and you don't that's have to cool. think about you don't have to think about stock because you can just keep cutting them when 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 the demand is high yeah. uh, and um, that's really uh, cool yeah. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it's uh, it's the it gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, reward. You know, it's a very rewarding process to have, you know, to you know come up with uh, something that you like and um, uh, and you can just cut it and and you don't have to think about is this an A side or is this gonna hit the dance floors? You know, is does it is this gonna sell my thousand copies or my five hundred copies that I just manufactured? You know, it's no no worries like that. So you can be way more independent and creative about uh, what you want to do. It's a um, it's a very free process. Um, so, Does that yeah. remind you more of the old days? I'm just curious because you've kind of you got at this career that kind of spans the the length of so many things. So you've well, seen how things were back in the day. What 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 made back in the day uh, or sort of like late 80s early 90s special is that uh, every track you did was a complete reinvention of whatever else was out there you know um, yeah. i mean there was no there was no such thing as genres it was in that time it was called house music you know even yeah. even though and and um yeah house or techno or whatever but that that there was no um uh, it wasn't cut up in in genres or subgenres or things didn't sort of um, uh, yeah everything kind of mixed and and it was a time when a lot of spontaneous ideas happened and and people started experimented with uh, things that would work on a dance floor but also at home you know that was a whole uh, new approach as well and um, yeah so it was a uh, there were there were way less rules and standards and stuff like that and uh, I. I think the lack of those things can can free up your mind or the, the process to um, to have more variety and more sort of pure um, things happening. You know, uh, so yeah, that's that's what I'm interested in Cap capturing capturing moments as they are. You know, just uh, unpolished and uh, um, authentic. Yeah, so, yeah, that's really cool. That's a brilliant way to go. <laughs> yeah, we are nearing two hours, people. Usually we do um, um, mm. sort of a last round uh, and give everybody a little uh, opportunity to uh, uh, to plug whatever they want to plug or they, they want to uh, 
maybe they want, you want to mention your Bandcamp page or a project you're working on. Um, Iroko, you got anything you want to promote or plug? Sure. I uh, got a few releases coming. Waiting for a remix from Jesse right now. Poke, poke. Um, so, a um, <laughs> little, little early to announce them, but um, there's a few releases that should be out over the next couple months. Um, just been grinding in the studio. Um, you can follow my SoundCloud. It's just my name. Um, if you really hate yourself, you can follow my Instagram. <laughs> no, it's great. Underscore, underscore Yamamura. Um, you have a I very interesting ratio of followers <laughs> and posts. I think, <laughs> I think it's a, it's an unusual uh, high amount of posts. Yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, especially during lockdown, it's just it's my entertainment. To, you know, it's, it's a way to connect to people. In, in some ways and it's like it's weird like pulling memes is kind of like dropping a track sometimes I know that's kind of dismissive sometimes but like <laughs> there's this thing and you're all kind of connecting over it in a different way um, but it's also just entertainment for me right now and um, just spending a lot of time in the studio studio time is now my entertainment instead of going out and partying with friends um, hanging out here, so hopefully we'll get some new releases out soon. Um, looking forward to seeing everybody in person again sometime. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah. Um, well, uh, last night I played. I, I did a streaming DJ set for oh, horror. Yeah, yeah. So it's so good. I love that yeah. set. Horror. So Thanks. awesome. You know, it was, uh, that was actually my the first time I've ever. Uh, played a streaming set like that where you like have 55 minutes and it's filmed. It was cool. It was really cool. Uh, it was really cool. So it was, it was, yeah, I had fun. So yeah, there's that. So feel free to check that out. Um, I will mention uh, Kevin uh, organized a really beautiful release for a friend um, that we're wrapping up and I'll, I'll let you um, talk about that, but I'm really excited about that. And of course the remix for Hiroko. So I'll finish that yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. And also, if anyone has any questions about the mod devices stuff, you can uh, reach out to me. I'm happy to, to help out. Cool. There's a lot to talk about. But, yeah, yeah so that's I want to ask you more about that. Yeah. Anything you want to plug, uh, Kevin? Um, well, as Jesse said, there's a, a really wonderful project that's coming up um, on my label, Valance. Uh, Valance has been a little bit quiet for... A little while but uh it's coming back and the first thing that's going to come is a, a really wonderful thing uh a friend of ours uh that both jesse and i were close with uh our friend troy um passed away in december and um he was struggling with cancer and while he was in treatment he uh made his first and only track uh and he uh he handed the, the parts off to me and I helped him finish it before he died and promised him that I would put it out with remixes by all of his friends. So uh, it's going to be a track by our very good friend in memory of him. And it's got remixes from Jesse and uh, Magda and Derek Placeco and Carl Craig and one of Troy's friends uh, from DC, a guy who goes by the name of Path Untold. 
And uh, yeah, that's going to come out next month. And um, it's going to be raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, Leukemia was what um, took Troy away from us, uh, but it was also the thing that he was fighting while he made this music. So we're going to use this music to continue to fight that for him on his behalf. So that'll come out uh, beginning of next month on Bandcamp and other platforms. So look out for that. I've got a couple other things um, that I'm working on that probably aren't ready to be talked about, but also I'm still running Valance Studios here doing mixing and mastering. Uh, so, and I'm, uh, I've cut my prices back uh, quite a bit so that I can help people uh, during the pandemic. So um, get in touch with me if you are looking to mix or master anything. And I'm, uh, like I said, giving discounts because all of us as musicians need to find a way to survive this so i'm trying to help as much as i can uh to to make that possible for people to get their music out so i will beautiful. take you up on that offer okay great get in touch Roko. that's beautiful kevin um cool. what about okay. you Yoko? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to uh, shout out uh, the usual, uh, the Discord server, if you if you like this conversation or if, like to talk about gear, music, inspiration, uh, workflow, uh, process, that kind of stuff, have a look there. The link should be in the, in the bottom of the description. And I'm going to mention our uh, Patreon page because we, um, we set up the page uh, for people to support the, the podcast, but also to... Uh, to get sound packs, you know. Um, if you want to get like current sound design stuff, Kevin, you were asking about create. Have, yeah. have a look at the <laughs> Patreon page, Patreon. or I can say, or, or I can, I can send you some stuff as well, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, we we do monthly uh, sound packs and we do master classes. So um, I basically talk to um, to people who need help with their music, like much like you do, uh, Kevin. Um, Cool. Uh, we do it online in the same environment where where we are in now. So yeah. um, um, usually it's on Wednesdays. I have uh, uh, classes um, and helping people along um, with their productions. And um, doesn't matter what level you are. It's um, you know if you want to get your stuff to the next level, um, you can talk to me. <laughs> Very cool. So that's um, yeah, that's one of the things. And I think I should uh, yeah, that's probably the the only thing I want to mention at this point. Um, oh yeah, yeah. One other thing, we've uh, started the second season of Stay Home Sound System. So the first Stay Home Sound System was basically from the first weekend of the lockdown. We uh, we invited people here in the in the studio um, to do live jams, and we streamed those. And those were great, but the amount of people that could actually physically reach the studio is, of course, um, uh, not. It, it's limited, you know. Uh, because of traveling restrictions and stuff like that so we ended that series in for 20 episodes and uh we started season two uh now which uh which is basically remote jams between myself here in the studio and a person at another location somewhere in the world uh synced up um and uh yeah we just we just do we just jam it's funny how how it feels because it i was a bit um afraid that it was going to be very weird you know like jamming with a, a person on a, with a, just a, you can see on a, on a facetime uh, <laughs> call but it, it it basically it's it's something you get used to for five minutes and then you, the music takes over and you're just jamming as if you were in the same room so that that was really great the first one with was with um our early adopter Ramen Romskur, uh, Kamskur, <laughs> with Robin, and uh, last weekend, last Sunday, I did one with uh, Surgeon, 
cool. Yeah, that went really well. If you want to check that out, it's yeah, it's it's still on Twitch, and we will post the mastered version to YouTube. I think on Thursday tomorrow. So yeah, if you want to check that out, have keep your eye out for that. Yeah, I guess that's a lot. I've already promoted a lot, so I should keep it at this. And yeah, it was great hanging out, people. Really nice. Thank you for having us. Yeah, really thank you everybody nice for you tuning in. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see everybody okay. soon. Yeah. Well, have a good week and uh, hopefully see you sometime in, in real life at some point in the future. I'll and, come uh, find you. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good luck you with your projects. And uh, speak later. Ciao, ciao. Yep. Cool. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.